0: Um, hello, and welcome to episode 25 of Curiosity-Ness with me, your host, Travis DeRose, and this episode I have on the Movie Gal. Her name is her real name is Kay Shackleton. She is also known as the Movie Gal. That's her website. And she has a website called SilentHollywood.com. She got that crazy domain name, silenthollywood.com. And Kay is super fun to talk to. She's been to the Oscars four times and covered it. She's been done interviews on the red carpet. Um, her dad was an extra in silent movies, so she has like a heritage back to it, even. And she's met all these people. And she's writing a book about the 100 year anniversary for the Oscars and interviewing Oscar winners. And it's just a really fun episode. If you love movies or the Oscars or anything like that, I think you're really going to enjoy um, hearing from Kay cause she's just, um, she's fun to hear. She has a good perspective on all this stuff and, um, I really, I really enjoyed it. So I think you will too. So that's the end of me talking and now I will let Kay do some talking. So here is the episode. Okay. We're going. How's it going? Kay? It's going great. Cool. Well, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you.
1: Well, this is exciting for me too.
0: <laughs> Perfect. So you know a lot about movies and silent movies in particular. You have silenthollywood.com.
1: Yes, I created silenthollywood.com about ten years ago.
0: Ten years ago. Yeah, you got the the URL, that's or the yeah, domain name. That's a good one.
1: Yes. I thought I grabbed a good one, yes, I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. So silenthollywood.com. You also have uh you're the movie gal, so you also have the movie dot com.
1: Right. Yes. I am a a freelance reporter uh, covering the entertainment industry, especially movies uh, and award season. And um, I uh, do a lot of interviewing of filmmakers, um, writers, directors, cinematographers. And um, so I have a foot in in the past of movies and in the current time of movies.
0: Yeah. Dang, crazy. So... I guess, can we just start with how this all got started? Cause you're, I think I read that your dad was in silent movies, right?
1: Yes. My dad, who is much older than my mom, because people will look at me and say, how could her father be in silent movies? <laughs> my dad was 68 when he married my mother when she was 40 oh. and he, he was my stepdad, but then he adopted me. Um, he, when he was a child, he came to Los Angeles in 1910 and as a child, his mother was always trying to get him out of the house because he was very precocious. And uh, he would go up to uh, different movie sets and just sign up as an extra as a kid. Nice. And he told me, he ended up being an engineer, and he told me he hated it. Absolutely hated the movie industry. That was so slow. It took take forever to do one shot. And I said, well, why did you keep going back? And he says, because they serve the best lunch, <laughs> nice. and I always, I always thought that was uh, the perfect little boy answer, you know. Totally. <laughs> but also, my dad um, knew Lon Chaney, and um, my my grandfather built a house for Lon Chaney. So, um, and my dad went to school with um, Creighton Chaney, who is also known as uh, Lon Chaney Jr.
0: Oh, so who is Lon Chaney? And Lon Chaney Jr.
1: Okay, Lon Chaney was probably one of the most famous silent film stars of the era, Um, and he was known for doing um, a lot of ghoulish characters: The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Phantom of the Opera. And he brought he made his own makeup. And my dad had a really funny story to tell about that. He said he and Creighton were at their at the Chaney home playing around. And that um, Lon Chaney came down the stairs in some kind of werewolf uh, uh, makeup and just scared the bejesus out of all both of them, you know. Uh-huh. I'm this, you know. But uh, he, he uh, you know, he his, right. He was really the one that created the m- makeup that they did for years after that. His makeup kit is actually on display at the Hollywood Museum in La- Hollywood. With, oh, um, I just
0: went there like last week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. His makeup kit is there.
0: Oh, so, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So he's, uh, he died right at, at the advent of sound oh. and, um, his son, um, his name was Creighton Chaney, but the studios asked him to change his name to and Chaney Jr. to try to get more people in the seats to come see him. And he had a very long career. He worked from the early thirties all the way into the 1960s doing all kinds of different movies. So very, yeah. Cool. When you can
0: go in the same family, that's fun.
1: Right. And then my dad knew Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And Douglas Fairbanks Jr. was the son of Douglas Fairbanks and stepson of Mary Pickford. And he was quite handsome. He ended up marrying, um, Joan Crawford at one point. Wow. And, But my dad knew him when they were really young, and I said, "Well, what did you, you know, how did you know him?" He says, "Well, I wasn't like a best friend of his. I was just part of the gang. There was a gang of us guys that would go out, and at that time it was prohibition, so uh, Douglas Fairbanks always knew the place where they could find a place to serve alcohol." (laughs) My dad said that um, the reason he liked going out with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. was because he was so handsome he would attract all these girls and my dad says, I knew by the end of the night I'd have a date because there would be all these extra girls. <laughs> Gosh, so yeah, that's so he funny had a lot of stories about Hollywood and he knew a lot of silent film actors. And he, he says, you know, they weren't, they weren't stars. Me, they were my neighbors. So, you know, I, yeah. I, the grocery store, he says, you know, there was no, really no big deal to me at the time.
0: Right. Wow. That's pretty cool. So can we look yeah. up, is there photos of, um, who was it, Lon? You said the first, the okay. werewolf. What was it? Well,
1: I don't have, I don't have any, I, I don't know what the werewolf, uh, or I mean, that's how my dad described it. I don't know what film that would have been for. And uh-huh. you have to realize 95% of silent films are no longer exist.
0: Oh, man.
1: Yes. We only have 5% available right now to view. 96 95 percent 95 to 96 percent are gone um and the reason being is that um the uh film stock used in silent pictures was is called nitrate mm-hmm. now nitrate is a beautiful format and they still use it today at some at sometimes um it really has the most candescent Kind of look of the film, and it's just gorgeous in a screening. The only problem is it's extremely flammable. Oh. And I mean, in in the in the silent. Sorry, my dog. Oh, in nowhere. the silent, um, they used to um, encase the projector, the person running the projector, in uh, cement in a cement building little little block. Yeah. So in case the film exploded while it was being screened, the 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 audience would, you know, uh, be in danger. Yeah. Oh my so gosh! It was very uh, flammable. Now they know today the best way to store. If they just knew how to store it, um, that it should be frozen. You know, stuck in really, really cold temperatures.
0: Oh, okay, interesting.
1: That, and that's the way to store it. And also. Another thing nitrate does is it turns into goo, and so, so they might have had film stock stuck on a shelf, thinking it was just fine, and and have it. You look at it, open it up.
0: i <laughs> <laughs> Like how he just hangs on over there on your shoulder. That's nice.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's Lucy. <laughs> oh hey Lucy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it would look like um, uh, Vaseline jelly if you open the can. Oh man. Uh, just be ruined. And they didn't think about preservation in those days that people would want to see the films again. I mean, the idea of seeing a film over and over again was not ever thought of at that point. In huh. film history. Yeah.
0: That's so strange. It seems like they would, cause they're like the amount of films made back then was a lot lower than today even. Right.
1: Well, not necessarily. Um, they made a lot of films and the thing is, is that in between 19, well, The early part of uh, film was um, really small little shorts, like five, six minutes, and then they gradually got larger and larger. Mm -hmm. The and and, um, in 1914, they had the first uh, real about two-hour movie, and um, and then uh, in 1915, um, D.W. Griffith came out with uh, *Birth of a Nation*, which was really the first blockbuster. Um, so there were a lot of films made, but like I said, there's so many missing that, um, you know, the, one of the reasons I built Silent Hollywood is that through still photography, we are able to get an idea of what the films were about, who was in them besides just the scant, um, uh, uh, documentation that's in paper, you know, so we'll find out uh, just there's still photography. Hey, this actor was in this film. We didn't even know it. Yeah. So, and that's the reason, uh, you know, I, uh, mm-hmm. uh, my tagline for silent Hollywood is rebuilding silent films one image at a time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. I had no idea that so many of them were missing like that. Um, so you said they had the, when they would play them, the projector was in like a big cement box.
1: Yeah. They eventually did that after. What- a lot of accidents, you
0: know? Oh, man. So yeah. was there like a – was there like an operator in that box with all that yes. stuff? Yes. Oh, man. That's going to be like the scariest job ever.
1: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and they also, uh, they also didn't have like a um, – Right now, you could you know put a project put a film on a projector and leave it. They couldn't do that. They were hand cranked, and you know they had right. different speeds. in the and the um, even today when they show silent films, uh, they'll bring in people who are are still skilled at sh- at screening these films with a projector, and they actually have to hand time the timing of it. And it's 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 a very complicated you know way of doing something, and it's really if you ever get a chance to. Um, see a large format screening of a, a silent filming really uh, suggests it's a great idea to do because you really get an, uh, an idea of what it was like. And if you get a good print, if you if you're watching TV and they show you a, a clip of a silent film, you'll see it's all it's all uh, got little uh, it's it's not clear. Mm-hmm. It, it, like it's been damaged, and it you know, it has like little flakes in it a little bit. But really, when people went to see a film in 1920, it was as beautiful as films are today.
0: Oh, yeah, you know?
1: yeah. So, um, it, it's an experience, and you can get a, a see a really good friend to see that you know, people in the 1920s actually did get to see beautiful films. Um, it's just that they didn't have sound, right? You know, the one.
0: So uh, it, oh, so is the, um, like when it's grainy and flaky and stuff, when we're watching it, is that just because it hasn't been preserved well, is that all likely,
1: Yes. And, uh, and if someone's recreating it, they recreate it as it's damaged. As that that was the real way to sh- the movies were shown in those days, and they weren't. They were. And uh, there's a famous film historian. His name is uh, Kevin Brownlow. He's the only man to win and uh, be honored with an honorary Oscar for uh, as a film historian. And he at a screening of uh, Buster Keaton's The General, which he was actually printed from the negative, so it was it, it was as pristine as a new film. Huh. Um, he said, I wish more y- young filmmakers were here to see this and see what a real silent film looked like when it came out. Yeah. The, that they were clear and beautiful just as a uh, new film is today.
0: Man, that would be very cool to see. Um, yeah. Do you know of any like theaters offhand? Because I'm in L.A. area and you're in Palm Springs, correct? Right. right. Do you know of any theaters offhand that might have something like that or where we, someone could find an event like that?
1: Um, the Turner Classic Film Festival in Los Angeles, it's in Hollywood, uh, uh usually in April or May, uh-huh. they, um, have some beautiful screenings and they often have uh, orchestras with them, which is also oh. wonderful because silent films were shown with live music. Mm-hmm. And, and for example, Birth of a Nation was, uh, um, shown with an orchestra. A lot of uh, films are shown with an orchestra or um, someone playing the piano. So uh, the live element of music is was is part of the experience. And so, if you can get to see a film that way, it's great. But unfortunately, there's not one theater that like specializes in silent films. There used to be in, in Hollywood. There was a or Los Angeles. There was a silent film. Uh, Theater, but it shut down a few years
0: ago. Man, that's too bad. Okay, yeah. that's cool. The Turner Classic Film Festival. I'm gonna have to check that out because that would be I really want to see that. That would be super fun to experience. Right. Um, so when they're so when they're hand cranking the the projector, it's all like their their timing is the speed that the film is being run.
1: Right. Right. That is exactly.
0: crazy. So they can yeah. they have to be right. Totally even consistent the whole time well, to get it right.
1: That's the thing; it's not even inconsistent.
0: <laughs> yeah, you
1: get the right, and they have to know the film really well to um, anticipate the, um, you know, the 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 pauses and stuff to the film and everything. So it's very technical. I I really don't know a whole lot about that. But I I've seen it in action, and and I've heard uh, uh, Kevin Brownlow talk about it. So. <laughs> that's how um, I know about it. But, um, yeah, it's just some very gifted people that know how to do that. And there's also some very gifted uh, men around that, um, still play for silent films, uh, the piano or, or organs because mm-hmm. they have these, uh, they have these large theaters with organs and, um, there's very few people around now that can play an organ for a, a motion picture. So they also, these I know a few of them myself and they, they take a lot of time training young younger people so that the art's not lost.
0: Right, That's cool. I like that people are still um, continuing that going on. Right.
1: Um,
0: so when they're, I know you don't know about, a lot about this, but I'm just so curious about the cranky thing. So they'll like, <laughs> Actually, uh, like change their timing depending on yes. the film. Yes. Oh, that's yes. interesting. Yeah, you think I would think they would just be consistent and just do it the whole time, but they yes. actually need to time stuff.
1: Yes, they do. Huh.
0: And why? Do you know why that is? Is it just for the action? No, or? I
1: don't, you know, it's it's, it's like, like I said, it's more of the technical part of film, and yeah. I'm more about the the storyline and you know the act actors and all that kind of thing. But, um, it, it's very interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, I went to a, there was a little theater in uh, like Manhattan beach area, I think in LA uh-huh. and they had a, gosh, what did we see? I think it was like King Kong even, but I don't know if that's even a silent film, but they had a, a no, that's
1: 1933 with Bay Ray.
0: Okay. So, but they had a guy, uh, like playing an organ type of thing, but it was called like a Wurlitzer or something. And it had that's, all these crazy things.
1: Yes. That's an organ. Okay. And that, yeah, and that's the, the, whoever was playing that was, uh, um, is a very rare, uh, person. Cause I just, there's not very many people that can do that. So mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. That was very cool to see. But then what was kind of weird too, is this at the theater, they like, they kind of made it into like the psychedelic thing where they painted some of the like organ pipes in like, uh, like neon kind of black paint or whatever, and then put black lights on and then they had like this little show in between, but whatever. It was fun.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, wow. Okay, cool. So this is good stuff. So what makes, you mentioned like the first, um, like blockbuster, what kind of qualified that movie as the first blockbuster? Well,
1: it was the first movie that, um, Mm-hmm. Was uh, about a two hour. I don't know the exact timing of, of Birth of a Nation. I think it, I think I think it might be just a bit over two hours, um, and it was shown in large. It was I mean just a huge throng of people came to see it. And Birth of a Nation today would be considered a film that. Um, uh, from the nature of the story because it's about the Ku Klux Klu- Klu- Klan being that the, uh, the, um, the, 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 they're the heroes of the movie. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So today the storyline really is just not something that people would be driven to see, but there's a, ba- a backstory to birth of a nation that's extremely important and it to, it's important to film today. Um, uh, that the director, D.W. Griffith, had a, um, a cameraman named Billy Bitzer, and they worked together for a very long time. And when they cut film, <laughs> they, the first time they cut the film, they edited edit it, they did that in Los Angeles. And then they had a screening in New York, so they took a train, and they took the film with them on the train, and they decided to recut it. I can't imagine taking a train, a a train ride and trying to edit a film on a train, but they did. And, um, the idea of suspense in a movie was that the, and the way it needs to be edited for a film to be suspenseful in some areas of the film and not suspenseful in another, um, was created by D. W. Griffiths and Billy Pitzer. And, for example, if you were to watch The French Connection from, I think, 1972, 1973, um, the same uh, uh, editing techniques are applied to The French Connection as, as they were to Birth of a Nation. Hmm. Uh, basically, in the way it works is um, it, to create a more, sus- more suspense in a certain area of a film, you want to cut back and forth from one scene to another faster. And that keeps the pace fast. So then if you want to, you know, the suspense to slow down a little bit, then you have a little longer scenes. Mm-hmm. And so that was created by uh, Billy Bitzer. And that's why Birth of a Nation is an important film. It's not important for the content as much as the, it is for the way the film was made and the way it was cut and how those, those uh, um, the procedures have been continued in filmmaking till today
0: yeah that is quite cool how it it's all this stuff was just laying the groundwork for stuff to continue to be built upon it huh
1: yes that's exactly right they they were pioneers mm-hmm. they there was there was nothing that you know they that came before them to give them an example of what to do. Um, in the early 1900s, between 1900 and 1920, a lot of films are, were made primarily outside, just because they didn't have the lighting to do uh, to go inside. You know, until 1920, that's when they started uh, uh, developing lighting, and they had one kind of lighting that um, actually blinded a few actors. Oh that, God! Yes, um, Miriam Cooper, who was actually in *Birth of a Nation*. She um, was in a Fox film in I think 1921, and she, her eyes were severely injured from a, 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 one of the kind of lighting that they used to use. So they were they were always you know try, trying new things to see what would work and what wouldn't work, and um, it, you know it was it was a time period where uh, it was very creative.
0: Mm-hmm. So who you know? are these? Um, do you know like how these first guys got into it? Because it's like, were they kind of like? How did the first cameramen become cameramen? Were they just kind of like, you know, there's no background for that. There's no experience or schooling. So how, you know, how that all started?
1: Well, on um, you know the the movie industry started from what they called called nickelodeons, uh-huh. and um, they were these little machines, and they would um, be these little flip cards. And the flip cards, if you rolled them, you would go like this, and you roll them, in, and it would it would look like a little film. And they're quite popular. They had these rooms of Nickelodeons, uh, kind of Nickelodeon. like a when in the 1980s when they used to have game rooms, you know, that you could go in and put quarters in and play games. So this you'd you'd stick I think a nickel in and you and you'd run it, and um, they and they were very popular. And then um, Edison was like. One of the pioneers in in the film industry, and there were some more pioneers also in in France. The Luminaire brothers, um, and there was a um, uh, another man that was uh, very. There were a lot of like pioneers, a couple pioneers that's really started out early. Um, but to say who who the first cameraman, I really don't know that answer. You know, it's, I, I imagine it. You know, it it was pretty much probably like you know, if, if you give a kid a camera at Christmas and they go out and make their own little films, you know, I'm sure they, whoever just wanted to pick it up and try it, you know, that's what they started doing. And, um, biograph studios in 1910 was making a lot of films. Uh, they were, uh, in New York and that was DW Griffith's, uh, hometown until he came to Los Angeles. And the reason Los Angeles and Hollywood became the the film capital of the world was because of the weather. They came here because the weather was better, and at that time they were only shooting outside or rarely inside. And um, they would have more time to make films because the weather was so good. They didn't have to worry about, you know, (laughs) snowstorms. Unless, of course, they were filming a snowstorm.
0: Right, yeah. Well, that makes sense. It's so practical, but yeah, it makes sense why they would come here. Right. And it stayed here. Um, So did the, so like, um, when I think of a silent film, I think of like, you know, the actors like kind of mouthing their words and then like those like script cards or whatever come up. Is that, was that pretty standard? Did basically all.
1: Yeah. And those are called title cards, title cards. Yes. And uh, for, um, in then beginning, motion pictures didn't have scripts. They had, they had synopsis. <laughs> Excuse me. And they would have someone that would write, um, basically what would happen in the movie, but it wasn't a, not a set script. Not all movies had a set script in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then it became more complicated and more, you know, uh, as, as the years progressed, they became, uh, more particular about the storyline and, um, uh, you know, it, it, everything became more advanced as the years progressed. I see.
0: Makes sense. So, when did, um, so the timeline for this, I guess, when was kind of the silent movie era? When was, when did that happen?
1: Uh, the first motion picture, uh, 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 sorry, the first uh, uh, studio in Hollywood was in 1912. Um, but they did do movies in New Jersey and uh, New York and Chicago and um, also in San Francisco. So, uh, so Hollywood was not the only place where films were made, but a good, a good period to be would say 1910 to 1930 between, between 1927 in 1927, uh, uh, Al Jolson was in the jazz singer, and that was the first spoken word in in movies. Um, it was meant to just uh, showcase his song, this song, one song he sang in the movie, but they decided to let the the uh, just just let it go for a while afterwards as he's talking to his mother, and so that became the first sound film. So huh. at, after that, after jazz singer, they were gearing up, all the studios were gearing up for sound. And again, it became a, a competition of whose idea would work best uh, uh, to record sound with film. and um, and a lot of films between 1927 and 1930 were part silent and part sound. Huh. So you get uh, bits of each of uh, both. so and then by 1930 pretty much everything was all sound.
0: okay. Interesting. So did the do you know when the like the radio kind of came into widespread use in that?
1: Well, the radio didn't have anything to do with the film industry. So, and I have no idea when radios were first start when they first came out, but um yes, radios had was a big form of entertainment for people. You know, uh-huh. and it, it was how they had entertainment at home.
0: Okay. So was it kind of like they had the they sort of had the technology to record audio and they had the technology to record video and they just kind of existed for a while, but then it wasn't, maybe it was a few years till somebody thought to really put them together and make a whole.
1: Right. Right. Well, there were attempts back in 1907 of trying to, uh, they would record uh, uh, record albums uh-huh. with the spoken word on it and then combined it with film. So, so. The idea that there was no sound films before 1927 is really not true. It's also not true that color film didn't exist because uh, there's a lot of uh, 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 films that were made before The Wizard of Oz that had color. Hmm.
0: Interesting. But it, is it just like everything, like new technology today where it takes – a while for it to come into the mainstream and for like all the theaters and stuff to kind of catch up and have like speakers to play and everything like that.
1: Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: That makes sense. Um so who like um who were the first kind of studios to do this stuff?
1: Um well like I said uh DW Griffith came in and he had um uh, in 1920s there were of various movie studios. Um, uh, and then in 1921 there was a, a quite kind of a uh uh financial hiccup in the film industry. And it the companies that lasted after that are the ones that became the large companies that we know of today, MGM, Fox, um, uh, uh, I know I'm missing a few, but um uh, Warner Brothers, uh, Universal; those are the ones that became those large movie studios in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. when yeah. it, you know, the studio heyday. Yeah. So in the early days, you know, there were a lot of production companies, and they would go in and out of business. And you know, a lot of movie stars had a hard time getting getting paid huh. because they're. You know, one day their studio was in, you know, it was working and one day that wasn't. So, um, you know, if they had a really good star that was very appealing, that that was helpful. Universal started out very early. They, uh, I'm writing a book about a silent film star. Her name was Louise Guam, and she was what they called a, um, a, a, um, a vamp. And um, she started out with Universal. uh, Well, she started out in 1912, but she worked for Universal in 1914 for a series called Universal Ike. And it was a series of comedy cowboy shorts. So, um, you know, if you had a star that, you know, could bring in uh, um, a lot of audience, you know, like, um, uh, Louise also worked with William a. S. Hart, who is a really uh, popular cowboy star of the 1910s. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually has a house. There's a house in um, Los Angeles that he owned that's now a museum. So it's oh, a really cool. Cool place to go look, font, you know, ghost and see. What is that called? His name is William S. Hart. And it's just, I think it's called the William S. Hart House or Home or something. And it's okay. a home museum.
0: Cool. I'm going to check that out too. Um, so, were these first actors, were they generally, did they generally start on like stage productions and and like plays and stuff like that? Or were they just always kind of movie, into the movies?
1: It, no, it wasn't because there was not movies before. So, some of them were on the stage, uh, quite a few of them. Louise was on the stage before she went into motion pictures. Um, but others, uh, you know, they, they would come and uh, they would see a movie and they'd come to Hollywood and decide that they wanted to be in movies. Um, It wasn't difficult to be an extra. You just had to show up in the morning um, during a roll call and they would look and see who they wanted. You know, did they need a little boy that's 12? Did they need a, you know, a a young woman that's 20? So you could get extra work pretty easy. Um, And that the further, the, you know, this, uh, in the 1910s, that was pretty easy, but when it got to the 1920s, it became more difficult. Of course, then they started, you know, having stars. Now, when they first started making motion pictures, the idea of they'd been a movie star was not a thought-of idea. Mary mm-hmm. um, Pickford was called the Biograph Girl, and um, they, they didn't know the actors' names. And the, uh, the the fledgling studios in the early day felt that that was a really good idea because they didn't want the stars outshine the movies that they were bringing out. Right. So, so the very first the girl that's considered the very first movie star, her name was Florence Lawrence. <laughs> and the reason I'm able to remember her name so well is because of my in-laws. My mo- in- in-la- my mother-in-law's name is Florence and my father-in-law's name is Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> so I'm able to remember her name really well, but she was the first build actress with her name, uh, build, uh, you know, in the, in the advertising to advertise a movie. Wow. So, yeah,
0: that makes sense. I could see why studios would not like business wise, they would not want the actors names on there, but now it's just so common and normal. That's right. the, that's like a marketing thing almost for them now. Totally. Yeah, yeah. totally. Exactly. Um, So you mentioned uh, you're writing about Louise Glom, and you said she was a a vamp. What is that?
1: Um, A vamp was a a character. It's actually that they used to call them vampires. And um, that's what vamp comes from, the word vampire. And Uh it basically was a woman that, um, you know, this is 1910. It was right after the... Um, you know, women were just starting to um, express their sexuality in more open spaces. Mm-hmm. And uh, the vamp was the woman that was going to destroy a man in a motion picture. You know, like if he had, you know, if there was a picture about a nice young man and a nice young girl, and they're going to get married. Louise would be the girl that would get in between them. And and take the man from the young girl and, you know, and she was always sorted or, you know, had a bad past or something like that. And then there would be some kind of ending that we, uh, where the vamp would try to gain uh, redemption.
0: Okay. So literally like a vampire, like sucking the life out of, you know. <laughs> right. Oh
1: right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Wow, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, Okay, so when were the first um, Academy Awards? Do you know when that was?
1: Yes, well, the first Academy Awards were in 1929. And uh, I'm actually writing a book about the Academy Awards right now for the uh, 100th anniversary. So I have 10 more years about to finish. And I'm interviewing uh, Oscar winners right now. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So, you know, of course, not all Oscar winners are still living today. So if I can't if I can't interview a, a, a person that's still living today, I interview their relatives or someone who's well known, knows a lot about their career. So um, I'm in the works with a, a friend of mine and we were writing it together. So, yeah,
0: that's very cool. That's exciting. So yes, what's it- the um, I guess what's the like? What are you covering in the book? Just the entire kind of history of the Oscars and all that stuff.
1: Well, most most books on the Oscars are kind of encyclopedic. Mm-hmm. You know, great pictures, a list of who were nominated, a list of people who won, uh, maybe a little tidbit from the awards show that night. You know, they were show. show the first uh, Academy Awards was a luncheon. It, it wasn't. It, yeah, it wasn't. They didn't dress up. It was. It was like a fifteen-minute deal it wasn't yeah it wasn't you know this what it is today they would just be amazed um it was just kind of an in industry insider giving it you know um acknowledgement to someone but uh it just grew from that because it was very popular that should be a very popular way of you know rooting for your stars that you enjoyed seeing at the movies
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you know um uh, just like anything else, the Academy Awards, they, they grew as the movie industry grew. Okay. Makes sense.
0: Um, so when they first started, were there any other kind of award shows or awards being given, or were they kind of the first ones to get it, to do it?
1: There was a, yes, there was a, a, a kind of funny award um, given to young girls. It was called the Wampus Baby Star Awards. And um, even though they weren't babies, <laughs> they would pick young starlets that they thought had a really good future. And um, Wampus babies were they I mean Joan Crawford was a wampus baby. Um, there were yes some, some very uh, talented young women that were wampus babies and then the other actresses that kind of never really um, you know uh, uh, had that start in the, 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 and then, and the wampus babies were, um, I'm not I don't have a whole lot of history on that but I, I do know that they were um, voted on by some uh, newspapers of some kind hmm. uh, on who these women would be and then they spent a year like touring the country and um, going to parties and stuff uh, you know that were sponsored by the the people who who you know gave them the honors there was no there was but there was no plaque there was no there was no statue. There's nothing like that at all. And they had the Wampus Babies in the 1920s. Then they stopped for a while. and Then they had them for a couple of years in the 1930s, and then it stopped completely.
0: Huh. Weird. It's such like a just like a specific type of award or like recognition. Right. right. So strange. Right. Uh, so in the first, like when they kind of first started the uh, Academy Awards, did they just have like Best Picture, or were there multiple awards like there is today?
1: They, they had multiple awards, but the awards changed. Like, for example, Janet Gaynor won, uh, she was the first woman to win Best Actress in a Featured Role. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they even had, I'm not sure if they had supporting roles in that year because things changed a lot between 19 the, the first awards in 1940, because they were trying to find their own beat about what they were going to do. And, you know, they still are changing it today. Mm-hmm. The, the, so, so, not every award season is the same, you know. For many years, they used to give awards away, away for cinematographers for black and white film, and cinematographers for color film. Oh, because for uh, for a long time, uh, both mediums existed and were in uh, movie houses at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, so the Oscars has to keep up with what the current trends are. Now, just last year, they mentioned that they were going to have. A new category for most popular film, and that was the least popular idea anyone had for uh, the Oscars. I mean, the Oscar voters said, "We don't even know how we're supposed to vote for that." And yeah. so the Academy Award backed backed up and said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna shelve this idea for a while." So, you know, it it continues to change, and, and you know, as much as the film industry changes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's good that they are, that they do change and, you know, kind of evolve with it. Cause that's important. I think that's good that they stay like that, but that, right. that most popular thing that wouldn't even be like how you wouldn't even vote on that. Cause that would be like just objective. It, that's not, you
1: would, think, you would think it would just be box office numbers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I talked to a few Oscar voters and they're like, yeah, we don't know how we would vote for that. It, it, it seems strange to us because they know what, the best motion picture idea is. And, 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 you know, it's the Oscars is not to say what is the most popular film. You know, there are other outlets for that. There are other award shows that cover that, like the people's choice awards, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a a place for things that are popular in popular culture today. But um, the, the golden globes and the Oscars, I really think should stay to the art of motion pictures. And yeah. not beer off.
0: hmm That's a good point. They are, they have their like niche, sort of. They're they're different.
1: Right. There's a reason the Oscars have become so popular. So, you know, don't mess with that the the formula too much. The problem is is that they are losing a tremendous amount of viewership. They their last the last Oscars was 33% less viewership than the year before. Oh wow. Yeah. And so um, there's a lot of people that, that believe that have the that same feeling that I do, that the the problem with the Oscars is the actual formula of the presents the presentations and that we would like to, uh, it to be more simple and that the MC didn't have to do all these tricks or or get, you know, uh, like bringing Like one year they went into another movie theater, you know, and brought in actors to say hi to people seeing the movies. And it took up a lot of time. And that's the stuff that is making people stop watching. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, another thing is that politics have really kind of crept into the Academy Awards. Um, I tend to be more liberal but I have friends that are, are more conservative and they feel that they've been left out in the, in the dialogue of motion pictures. And I would like the politics to be left out the door too. You know, and just be a celebration of film, because there's so much to celebrate without bringing politics into the question. And I think it would be you'd have more of a broader audience if everyone felt included. So, um, those are the two major things I believe is wrong with the most, with the Academy Awards that would bring them more viewership. But also part of the reason they're having fewer viewership is just because people don't watch television as much as they used to.
0: That's true.
1: Yeah. And you know, that through streaming devices and other things that Academy is losing, uh, the, uh, people watching just like most traditional television series are today. Mm-hmm. There's more out there.
0: Yeah. It seems like it's still kind of the, uh, like, uh, I don't know, the standard or the highest echelon for awards for movies, at least. Because even if, I think if people don't even watch the ceremony, they'll probably at least look it up or... or
1: right, you right. Know. It is. It is. It is the top echelon and they need to remember that and they need to um, uh, uh, not worry about competing with anyone else because they've already... Establish themselves as the best. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's in show business, um, there's a, a way of any kind of show business, you'll always notice that they always save the best for last. If you're watching American Idol, they're going to take the person who sang really well, the best person that sang in, in, in rehearsals, and that person will be last. Yeah. Because everything should be, the best should always be saved for last. And what's the last award show of award season? The Oscars. Yeah. Everything is, is you know, starts all over after the Oscars are over. So, um, you know, films are released at the end of the year. The reason films in the fall are so much better than the films, in the, you know, between the in the other seasons is because they're releasing them late. So they'll still be, you know, remembered by the Oscar voters when it comes time to be voted on. So, uh, a lot is really geared to the Oscars themselves. So they have a lot of power. They have a lot of, um, uh, um, reasons to be, uh, to not worry. And I just think, it, I think they need simple fixes instead of trying to be, you know, get too, you know, inventive with the, trying to bring in more viewers with, uh, categories that really don't fit the Oscars.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I see. That makes sense. And you think they should just kind of simplify the show, make it, because right now it's like a four hour ceremony, isn't it? It's pretty long. Yeah, it,
1: it, it's well, three hours and something. And not like next year, the, the next Oscars are going to show, which I'm very upset about. They're going to have several, um, uh, um, awards given out during commercial times. And wow that is, I think that's going to hurt them tremendously. I, there's a lot of people that have Oscar parties and they have pools on who's going to win. Mm -hmm. uh, They said that they're going to show clips of the winner um, when they go back to live, to the live show. And I, have been to the Oscars. I've been there four times. I covered it in person and, um, one of the things I don't know what they're going to do is during commercial breaks is usually when everyone hits the bar because there's a, a bar <laughs> in, the, in the back of the theater and, you know, all, everyone's going to the bathroom or getting a drink, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how it's still, you know, giving out awards during the commercial break, it's kind of probably going to piss the people off that they regularly go because that's our time to have a, a little bit of a break between, you know. Um, the different awards. So I I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, I think it's a mistake. Um, I think keep the awards, get rid of the shenanigans that just don't really mean anything.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is kind of strange. It seems like they're just trying to entertain as much as possible on the show, but it might not be what people want.
1: Well, the the show is not a show to be an entertainment show. It's to give out Oscars. Mm Mm-hmm that is the main purpose. Yeah. Why would you not give me give out the o- Oscars during the commercials? I mean, it's just it, it to me it's a little a little ludicrous.
0: Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um is there a uh like a ceremony the day before the actual like televised Oscars?
1: No. Um there's this, well there's a there uh the um film independent awards are the day before. But okay. the, uh, the one thing they do have is uh, they have an Oscars luncheon. Uh-huh. And I've been to that as well. It's a great day. It's usually done about a week and a half or two, two weeks before the actual Oscars. And all the nominees are invited. They're given lunch. Um, they are seated. Uh, they're not allowed to sit where they want to. They have specific seating so they can meet new people in the industry. Oh. So an actress might be might be sat with a cinematographer and, um, a foreign film, uh, nominee, you know, they, they try to mix it up so people get to know more people. And, um, during the, not the, uh, luncheon, they have, um, an interview area. And, um, I've been to the, a few of those, it's only about 25, 30 people in the film industry reporters are allowed to come in and sit, sit for the luncheon. And so I've been very honored to be among some of those people and the stars will come in and, 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 you know, I'm as close to them as I am my coffee table. (laughs) And it, it was, it's really nice. And they get to talk about, you know, the honor of being nominated. And the, the celebration of being nominated, you know, before there's like this competition, right? And you know, that's a, a competition that's very subjective. Let's not like, let's be serious. I mean, who can really say who's the best actor? Mm-hmm. But but you know, so it's a day to celebrate all the nominees. And then after the luncheon, uh, they have a. Uh, this is done at the Hilton in Beverly Hills. They have was a, a poolside. Um, in interviews that are done by the mainstream media. So it's a big day of promoting the films. The, of course, the people, ended, the end uh, the the um, movie studios. They they want all their stars to go because it does promote the film and promote people, more people to go see it in the movies. Yeah, yeah. totally. They, they have them being interviewed.
0: That's what I like about the Oscars. In the is that um, it kind of motivates you or like encourages people to talk about movies that may kind of like slid under my radar that I didn't really right. notice. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, but with my friends it's like what have you seen? What do you th- what have you liked? You know, this, the start of Oscar buzz, you know. Mm-hmm. And um uh I'm pretty good at predicting winners. That's kind of how I started in this business. And um I i beat, I beat out Entertainment Weekly with my predictions. So, I mean, I'm pretty good at it. And sometimes I'll go and see a movie and I'll go, this is going to win the Oscar. And I'll know for sure. For example, I saw when I saw Amy, the, um, uh, the documentary on Amy Winehouse, uh, and I saw it pretty early in the year. I think it was August. Mm -hmm. I was blown away. And I said, this is going to win best documentary. And it did. And so, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty good at it. I'm not perfect but i i do pretty good at it and i just you know certain films will just hit you and you'll just go that was incredible you know that was uh, an experience that i won't forget and it deserves recognition you know Mm -hmm. and then you and then you if you really like a film then you're rooting for it you know you're first you're rooting it for it to win uh get not get some acknowledgement with um, some of the um uh, society, film societies and film festivals. And then when, uh, then, you know, the, um, Golden Globes come and they, they have their nominations and, um, also the, um, um trying to, uh, the SAG awards is really also a big part of award season. So it's the Golden Globes, it's the SAGs, and then it's the Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see, you know, which, uh, entity, you know, likes who and everything. And there's also the Baftas, which has become really popular too, which is the, the British version of the Academy Awards. And that's usually about a week. I want to say a week, maybe two weeks before the Academy Awards. They have to plan these out really way, very well so that they don't cringe on the, the luncheon because they know they have to have time for everyone to have their stuff. So Um, but the Baptists have become very popular and they're shown here in the United States.
0: Okay. Are those, um, just British films or is it everything?
1: It's, uh, Hollywood films. It's, you know, films from around the world too. So, uh, Mm -hmm. they, they are really getting to be more acknowledged more as a big part of award season.
0: Cool. And does that ceremony take place then over in Britain?
1: Yeah. In London. Yes. In London.
0: Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, yeah. I've never even heard about that, so I'll check into those. Um,
1: Yeah, the British um, Academy film, I don't know the TA sounds to her. I would know if I was looking at my notes. Totally awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Okay, so what was, I guess I'm curious about how your career sort of progressed into this and how you were able to, you know, go to the luncheon and, you know, how this all happened for you.
1: Well... My story is like uh, a story of, um, of someone with uh, a lot of determination and um, uh, and not really any uh, standard uh, <laughs> schooling for this. I'm, most of my life I've been in the world of finance. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have a, a full-time job today uh, working for an insurance company. I'm an accounting manager, um, which seems really strange that I would have such a left brain job during the day and such a right brain job the rest of my life. Yeah, really. It just works out that way for me. But, um, what happened was my husband was in a serious accident at work and he was ill for 15 years and I was unable to work for, for, for a really long time because I, I never knew when he would be ill or when he'd be in the hospital or when he had surgery. So I couldn't commit myself to, to working for anyone. So, um, uh, I did some various things I had, I sold some things on eBay and, um, when eBay was doing really good in the, in the 2010s and, um, I would go to these parties, a girlfriend of mine would have parties, uh, we were for the Oscars where we predict who was going to win and I was getting so good at it. I'd walk in and people would just hand me the money, you know, for the, (laughs) Hey, we know you're going to win. I'm just going to give you my five bucks now. And I go, no, 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 I'm kind of picking some strange ones this year. So I, I really didn't think I would win, you know, cause I would, I would, you know, one time the year Chicago came out, entertainment weekly said that their, their costumes were too flamboyant. And I'm like, no, that's they're supposed to be that way. And it's, it's going to win best costume. And so, you know, I, I didn't always agree with, you know, the, um, these people that were paid a lot more money than I ever was paid to do. Mm-hmm. So anyways, my girlfriend, she kept all the, I don't know why, but she kept all the, the sheets that we would write out on our predictions. And um, I was on the computer one day and I got this thing, you know, write about, um, do you like to write? And um, it was a online uh, uh, news organization that was coming together. It was called examiner.com. And so I applied and I applied for the film area. At the time I lived in Hemet, California. Hemet's a really little tiny city on the other side of the mountains from Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. And they had a drop, they had a drop down menu and you had to pick a local area to cover. And, um, of course, Hemet wasn't on it. And, um, Temecula, which was the biggest city next to me, they, they weren't on it. And then I saw Palm Springs and I'm like, Palm Springs. That's, that's a good area to cover because they bring in a lot of independent film into Palm Springs. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, I picked Palm Springs, didn't know that I would end up living here. Didn't (laughs) know that my whole career would start here. Um, and, um, I started writing for them. I wrote movie reviews Um, six months after I wrote for them for, um, the local, uh, Palm Springs area, I pitched an idea of, uh, writing a national byline on movie awards. So I was the movie awards examiner and, um, uh, a year after I started, I applied to go to the Oscars. I was so green that now that when you work for a company, it's called your outlet Mm -hmm. and, Um, I was so green. I had no idea that your outlet was supposed to apply for you. Um, I just filled out the application online by myself. You know, I didn't, I I was freelance, so I didn't, you know, say, Hey, examiner, I applied for the Oscars. Right. And I got accepted. (laughs) So yeah, it's just like, um, you know, Nothing that I did was the standard of operations. There's no guidebook for what I did. You know, I think I just was so green and everything that I was. Um, and and uh, I did have, I did have knowledge and experience in other ways about the film industry. I I spent a lot of time watching film when I was younger. When VHS tapes came out. My mother and I would binge watch We uh, on the weekends. We, uh, we would get maybe eight or ten films and watch them one right after the other. Whoa. And so, yeah, you know, movies that she had seen when she was younger from the 1930s, 40s and 50s. So I had a great foundation and education in film that was, you know, not not in a, a university or anything <laughs> like that. So I think that part of my education and knowledge of film history and also knowledge of what how, how I was able to predict who was going to win and why knowing those things when I went in I think were really big help so I don't think anyone there's just anyone could go and uh, start writing for a, bit, a company and then go to the Oscars I don't think that, that happens very often um, a lot of people tell me I should write a memoir sometime because uh, and call it from him into Hollywood <laughs> But, um, you know, it just, uh, it just happened. I, I never had planned it. I never had planned having a career doing anything with motion pictures. I've always loved motion pictures, but you know, it was nothing I ever planned to do. So it just kind of happened.
0: That's a very cool story. How you just had it, you, you know, watching the VHS tapes, You just had the natural love for movies and then it just kind of happened. That's awesome.
1: Right. I love stories like that. That's very cool. Right. But, you know, also, um, I think a big part of it, and I think this is something that anyone can learn, uh, no matter what your your uh, um, dreams are, because I think dreams are really important. And I think it, it's one of the reasons I want to write the book about the Oscars, because the reasons people watch the Oscars, um, I think one of the biggest reasons they watch it is because it gives them about two hours to pretend that they're the most glamorous person in the world. And that maybe, you know, they, what would they do when they go up and grab that, that Oscar? And, and I think they picture themselves as the people who actually win Mm -hmm. and, you know, and the the glamor and the, um, intrigue of who's going to win and what for, and what are they going to say? It's, I think it's, it's spellbound, spellbinding. And I think it's, it, it creates a, It's a lot about dreams. You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of people that come to this uh, industry wanting to win an Oscar, uh, director Damien Chazelle, for example, he's a very big director right now. He just won best director two years ago for La La Land. Mm -hmm. And when I interviewed him, he told me that his favorite day of the year when he was growing up was Oscar day, (laughs) not his birthday, not Christmas, not Thanksgiving, It was Oscar day. And he says he was too young to watch the Oscars because of his bedtime. Mm. So his parents would tape it for him. And when he went to school the next day, all his classmates knew, don't say a word about the Oscars to Damien. Don't say who won or anything like that to spoil it. And then he would run home after school and watch the Oscars. And he told me, he said that that was his primary reason for coming to uh, Hollywood. Not all actors and actresses or directors are that way. Um, I was fortunate enough to work in a, uh, for a, a movie theater in Palm Desert called Cinema Palm Door. It no longer exists, but it was co-owned by actor Brian Cranston. Right. And um, uh, Brian, he just hates talking about Oscars and awards. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, he just doesn't like it because he thinks it's so subjective and and it, you know it is not at all, you know, he's more into the craft of doing films and, you know, the, of creating characters. That's, you know, what he really um, says, you know, everyone has their own point of view and, um, you know, it's just really interesting how, um, you know, everyone has, I really believe everyone has their own Oscar stories. That's what my book will be about. We're We're featuring one performer or one filmmaker per year. And we'll oh, okay. Oscar story.
0: Very cool. So you'll just be kind of tell like, they'll just kind of tell you their whole, like what leading up to the Oscars and then the experience of getting it and the aftermath and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And then we talk about the, the making of the film, um, their past there, you know, there's, we usually when we're going into an interview, we have kind of a cl- idea of what we want to focus on. And then other times we'll be just surprised by some of the answers we get because uh, I go in saying, now listen, I'm going to ask you questions that you've heard a million times. And I don't choose to think that I'm not very bright and I haven't done my homework. I know you've probably answered these before, but there's a reason we want you to answer these questions that you've probably heard a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's strange because we will get an answer we've never heard before (laughs) from questions that have been asked before. So, um, uh, sometimes we go in knowing, you know, the angle we want. And sometimes we're really surprised about, um, the actual true story. And I think having, we do these interviews, um, in private, so, um, you know, in their homes and, uh, where they're very comfortable and, you know, uh, it's, it, it's, um you know a very simple 45 minutes we only spend it with each uh person we're interviewing and we try to make it you know just as simple as possible as quick as possible for them because you know that they're, they're giving up their time but um the idea is though to find find a really cool story to tell and that will be unique that people haven't read it all before you yeah know? we want it to be a book that will 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 be interesting to you know and also tell a bigger, a broader story about motion pictures. We're not going to just feature actor, you know, actors and actresses, and maybe a couple of famous directors. We're going to every category. will have someone written in the book about. So, nice. they will be, it'll have, it'll have categories for shorts. It'll have a category for. Um, you know, one year we might feature a person who, who won for a foreign film. So, um, we definitely don't want to just focus on actors and actresses, which I think a lot of the books do. So again, you know, that was my, it's been my idea for a really long time. And, um, you know, my, I have a girlfriend who, um, used to go to movies with me a lot and stuff. And we've, you know, we've had a love for film as a, in our friendship. And so we thought this was a great way to celebrate that and, and create this book. So,
0: yeah, that's very cool. I love the idea. So you're going to do, you're going to feature somebody from each year from every Academy award.
1: That's right.
0: Sweet. That's,
1: that's right. Now, for example, Janet Gaynor, we talked about her. She uh-huh. won. Went for three films in her first year. They don't do that anymore, right? Yeah. Um, I interviewed her son uh, just a couple months ago. And so we got a really, uh, I I really got a, a better idea about Janet Gainer. And I read a lot about her. Before we go to an interview, we do a lot of reading and a lot of watching of films. So we have, so we go in as knowledgeable as we can, and still we're surprised about the real person behind, you know, the Oscar. So yeah, it's it's been really fun, and we're hoping to get some more interviews as we as the time progresses because it's gonna it's that ten years seems really long, but it's really not for writing a book this size.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. You're going to have 100. So you're going to do every all every all 100 years? Is that the plan?
1: All 100 years, yes. Sweet.
0: Okay, so this will be a while until we get to read this, though, huh? Right, okay. right. Man, that is quite the cliffhanger. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm curious about the the four years that you went to the Oscars. What was that like? Did, were you doing uh, interviews and that kind of stuff? or What were you up to?
1: Yeah, you know, I have some fun stories. Uh, the first year I went to the Oscars... Um, I did, I've only gone on the red carpet once and that was in uh, 2014, but in 2012 was my first year. No, I'm sorry. It would have been 2011. I think it's 2011. So anyways, uh, the first year I was there, I was so new that, um, they, what they do is they have. Um, a bank of seats, just plain seats for the people who are on the red carpet to come in and they sit down on the seats and it's the front of the stage. There's this actual stage behind the, um, in the, the, the Dolby studio, the Dolby theater is connected to Lowe's hotel the, okay. There's there's hallway that connects them. Mm-hmm. And so the press sits in a room next to the Dolby theater um, there's two rooms. There's one for the photographers and there's one for the press, mm-hmm. uh, the, the remaining press. So the remaining press waits in a, at a stage and then there's a little stage and they can, the winner will come in. Only the winner is allowed. The presenter doesn't come in. No one else is allowed to come in except for one time. And I'll tell you about that later. But <laughs> uh, um, And, you know, that the press is about, given about four or five opportunities to ask questions and then they leave. And so when you're in a r- large room with, with different people, it's quite a large room um, to get that question in is really difficult. So anyway, um, at, so they have these about four or five rows of, of seats for the red carpet people. And then behind that are tables and you uh, People are positioned at tables and they'll bring their, their laptops and they'll, you know, report in real time. Right. And, um, uh, and they do serve dinner to the, to the press, which is really nice to, you know, decide to serve, you know, uh, um, drinks, not, not alcohol drinks, but regular, you know, sodas and water and stuff and, and some food. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a very hectic kind of atmosphere. I can imagine sitting there you, what happens is we can watch the show on on the, they have big screen TVs throughout the build throughout the room like three or four of them and um, it, it will be lot we can see it live but the minute the commercial break hits uh, the I mean, sorry the minute that the, the uh, uh, an, uh, honoree starts to come in and they can come in at any time because what they do is they win their award and they have the option they can either go back to their seat watch the rest of the awards, and then go – and at the end of the awards, go and get B interviewed. Or um, they, they funnel us through the photography and then the, the press, and then they'll go back to the awards show. Mm-hmm. And usually the beginning – the people who win in the beginning, they usually do that first. And it's not till the very end like when you've got best actors and, and, and director and best film – like a, if you win best actress and the other awards haven't been shown yet, you want to sit there and wait, watch, you know, the, cause it's the best part of the show, you know, which right. was sure. Right. So usually they'll bring other people in and, and, uh, one of the, um, award, or one of the uh, movies that year that was, um, up for a lot of awards was Hugo and Hugo's kind of an interesting movie because it is about a man who made silent films. Mm hmm. And, um, so I, I, I was really lucky at the movie theater that I worked at Palm desert. We actually had, um, one of the producers of, uh, uh, Hugo there, his name is, um, Graham King and Graham King is also the producer of Bohemian Rhapsody, which just came out. Oh yeah. He's, he's a very big producer. He's, uh, worked with Martin Scorsese. I mean, very well-known uh, producer. Mm-hmm. So he and talked about how hugo was made and um it was done 3d and but it was done with 3d cameras and every setup of the cameras took six about six hours oh my so you're gosh ready to set to shoot a, a movie you know a, a scene and it takes actually six hours to prepare to even start shooting and it was it the uh, grand had to go back to his investor for more money and more money and more money because it kept taking longer and longer to shoot. And then it was shot on a, a real film set. They built the whole set right there. It, it, so basically this movie had very little green screen. Mm-hmm. It, it, a lot of 3d movies are either green screen or they're, they're filmed in, in 2d and then there's a transformation into 3d. Yeah actually filmed for 3d which is Crazy. different yeah so um, during the award show the cinematographer won and of course he's going to win because the other cinematographers and the other filmmakers know what a what a difficult job it was to film, right. to, to film this with all these setups taking so long and I knew all of this right Yes, like I was prepared and I'm sitting there and this uh, one of my colleagues, gets to ask the cinematographer a question and it's the first question the cinematographer gets and he goes, can you tell me uh, all the elements that it took to green screen this movie? And I'm I'm yelling in my head, no, don't ask that question. That's not a good question. It wasn't green screen film. You know, it was all shot in real 3D. Why are you asking this question, right? And uh, the cinematographer without missing a beat said, Oh, well, that's quite interesting because 99% of this film is not green screen. And he says, obviously you didn't do your homework. And I said, Ooh. I hope when Mr. Scorsese comes in here, you have a better question for him.
0: Oh, wow. That's a burn. Yeah.
1: So I'm sitting there and I'm going, Oh God, this is like, this is horrible. You know, what have, you got really fine, a good question. You know, if you're gonna you're gonna put yourself out there, you better have a good question, right? And you need yeah. to be really so later throughout the day, the, another film that was uh, up for Oscars was The Artist, another film based on silent films. So it was kind of funny. And um, the director came out. His name is Michel Hazanavicius. and And he's from France. Mm-hmm. And um, really, really nice guy. And um, I noticed that hardly anyone had their little card up. There's a number card they give us. And they would say, okay, 212, you're next, you know, <laughs> and they would tell us to see who was gonna uh, get to ask the question. Mm-hmm. And I was no one is putting their so I was in the very back of the room. I was so new that they had me seated to the back door. Yeah. The back door was like, I could feel I could touch the back door. I was so far at that. <laughs> yeah. So I re- I had this, I actually stood up and raised my card so they could see actually see me all the way up at the stage. Mm-hmm. So she told me. And I, and I said to Ms. Shahzad Rejis, I said, I said, I was just curious, what silent films inspired you to make the artist? And he was touched, and he went, You mean my own personal favorites? And. <laughs> 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 And I said, Yes, your own personal favorites. And he, so he started to talk about the, the silent films that he loved and the and the silent film uh, directors that he, he that inspired him. And, and he was so excited about it that he started speaking faster and his English started becoming a little more French. And then finally he says he said something like, you know, you'll have to come spend a week with me, you know, because he knew I was actually interested in silent films as like he was. Mm-hmm. So Okay, I did that well, you know. I, and you know, the whole whole place just laughed when he said you have to come speak spend a week with me, you know. Yeah. So I knew I had done well, you know. Nice. So uh, the last time I was at the Oscars, I was actually in the front row.
0: <laughs> nice, all right.
1: <laughs> from the backs, the very back to the front row. So sweet. Yeah.
0: Cause Kate knows what she's doing.
1: I, I knew what I was doing. Yes. Yes. And that year I got to ask Julianne Moore her question when she won best actress and the oh. end and how I did that. That was a really funny story. Um, we had a, a guy come in for, I think it was some kind of sound award. I'm, i I don't remember exactly what award it was. It was a person I had not anticipated asking a question for mm-hmm. and not prepared to answer, ask him a question. So I had prepared questions for people that I wanted to interview. Mm-hmm. And um, what they do is they, they, they do a, a little uh, test with the room because they don't want someone to come in and no one raise their hand to ask a question because that could be awkward, right? You just want an oh, academy yeah. card and no one wants to talk to you? <laughs> we don't want that to happen. So what they will do if if, so, if no one raises their hands, with sometimes happens with the sh- winners of the short films, um, they just move them along like they didn't, like, don't know they're missing anything. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, so they did this test and I had a lot of people that wanted to ask this guy a question. He comes onto the stage and I'm sitting there right next to the woman who chooses all the people that should, get to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, she starts to look around and no one has their card up. Oh my gosh. And she's like totally freaking out. And so I just held my card up and asked him a question, just get the ball rolling. Yeah. And she remembered that. So, um, I could see the cards before she was because they they got, didn't always come in the on the order that they won, so you not you never were you're really sure who was going to be next. Right. And uh, so I saw her preparing the card for the next person, and it was Julianne Moore, and that's the one I really wanted. So yeah. so when I put my card up, she obviously did pick me because I kind of saved your ass, on <laughs> the last guy. Yeah. So, you know, so so yeah, you just. Uh, you know, you just have to be really, uh, kind of a little aggressive and outgoing and, you know, and you pick those really prime moments and, you know, it's, it, you know, it's just a tiny bit of film history, but it's so fun to be part of it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That sounds just freaking awesome. And so cool. Um, yeah. so what was your, um, you said you had a story about one time, like the presenter came in one time or something like that.
1: Oh, okay. What happened was, um, uh, uh, um, I'm trying to meet, okay, Jennifer Gardner, and that's when She, she was still married to, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Um, uh, God, no, I can't think of his name. I can tell picture. He had a film with George Clooney, and um, it was about, um, uh, um, God, I can't even think of the name of the film. I should have this with me.
0: I wish I uh, could help. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Uh, God, um, anyway, her husband and George Clooney came out and they won Oscars and they all had beards on. And uh, and Jennifer Gardner, she just came in and sat down and with the, the press, they, you know, found a chair and sat down, which they're not allowed to do. But she who's going to tell Jennifer Gardner, get out. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so her husband was up there and George Clean was up there. And then she says, yeah, she says, I ha- I made them a bed as they won. They had to shave their beards off. So <laughs> she's really funny. I enjoyed her. She's just seemed like she's a really, really sweet person. And yeah. Really fun, That's fun good. girl.
0: She's yeah. enjoying herself having fun. That's nice.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and you know, they, they're, they've had a few drinks in them too, you know, by the time they get up there. So, yeah, you know, they're loose. Jennifer Lawrence, she says, she says, I'm a little drunk. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> she says, I think I've had three shots because she was so, you know, completely, uh, um, uh, uh taken by being an Oscar winner, you know, and, and she had a really rough time. I was actually handing in my headset. We, they, we have headsets to listen to the show when other people are being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was handing my headset in when she came in and uh, I wasn't expecting her to come that soon. And, um, so I was like really close to her and they had, um, the people from the red carpet asking her questions and they were all really mean to her. They are like, she was 20, I think 23 when she won her her Oscar. And they're like, "Do you think that you know uh, that you've lost them too soon, and that you'll, you know this is the height of your career at 23?" And she says, "No, I didn't. Not till now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And she goes, "Aren't you supposed to be like nice to me? I just want an Oscar, you know." So I kind <laughs> of felt for her. I was just like, "Yeah, people, where beating your questions, guys?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah really
0: yeah man that's crazy this is so cool it's so fun that you've gotten to do all this stuff and the stories you have are awesome
1: yeah i just you know I, i've lived a charmed life I, can, I really have to say um uh one time i my girlfriend we were i was out to lunch with her father and he had worked in the um uh television business for years And so he knew the entertainment business very well. And he says, so you've been to the Oscars four times. And I said, yes. And he says, what an honor. And I said, that's exactly what it is. It's Mm -hmm. such an honor. And, you know, um, I was actually supposed to go in 2015, but my editor didn't return their phone calls. He thought they reached someone else. And I actually I, I went to the luncheon in 2015 and everyone's like, Oh yeah, y'all say it's the I'll see it at the Oscars. And so I contacted the Oscars right after the luncheon and they said, Oh no, your seat's gone. We gave it to someone else. Uh-oh. And I was gonna carpet that year too. So I was really, really upset. And then the examiner went out of business in 2016. So Oh I, man. Yeah, I I never got to go back. So I was like, it was really sad, you know, it's like um, you know, an end of your era, but you know what? I still applied this year, even Mm -hmm. as the movie gal, I stand zero chance of actually going, but, um, you never know, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and you don't, and you're definitely not going if you don't apply.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Awesome. I hope you get in. That would be so fun to go back again. Huh?
1: it would it would be very you know i would love to work for another outlet and that has the, the the reason i would never be chosen now is i don't have the viewership or the numbers on my uh, movethegal.com as uh, as examiner.com did cuz it was you know a national company mm-hmm. um, but the thing is is that i'm a little older and they're not going The companies like entertainment tonight entertainment weekly they're not going to hire my, someone my age they're going to hire a 20 year old that's just the way it is. Yeah. So, um, you know, it doesn't matter about my experience. It doesn't matter about my abilities. It's it, they want someone that's young and pretty. And so that unfortunately, you know, keeps me from doing a lot of things, but I still work really hard to do what I do and have a voice out there. And, um, and then I work, you know, I'm working on two books right now. So that Um, going to the Oscars, I would never be able to write a book about the Oscars without that experience, because Mm when I had to sell that book I'll I can say I was there, you know, not that just, you know, I think I could write a book about the Oscars, you know, I actually covered it. So it gives me, you know, the credentials to actually write the book.
0: Yeah, for sure. You have a lot of credibility with that. Definitely. Right. Right. Um, what did I want to ask you? Oh, so are you doing, now that you're in like Palm Springs, do you kind of cover like the film stuff that happens there? Or are you going to that stuff?
1: Yeah, I do. And um, I enjoy going to events here that are, you know, about the film industry. Um, we have a Palm Springs film festival that's at the very beginning of the year. And I often cover that. And um, last year I didn't, but I, I almost always cover it. Last year, I actually went to more films then when I cover it, because I wanted to go as a fan and just go see the films as,
0: um, anyone
1: else and get to see more films, because when you're covering them, you have to, you spend time outside of the, of the theater interviewing people and stuff. So you don't get the chance to actually enjoy the films. right So that's why I was like, yeah, I want to enjoy the films a little more and, and do that. But, um, you know, it's, uh, um, we have a lot, you know, we have people here that live here that, um, work for the industry. And so it get, it gives us a, an opportunity to do things that I probably wouldn't have in any other city. The only other city that would, I have more opportunities would be Los Angeles, but I don't want to live in Los Angeles. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's a little crazy.
1: Right. And my, my ties to classic film and, and silent films are all here. uh, Palm Springs wouldn't be Palm Springs without a man named Charles Farrell. Charles Farrell was a, a silent film actor. He uh-huh. built he built a uh, tennis club called the Racquet Club. It was one tennis court at one time, and then he built another tennis court, and then he built another tennis court, and then it became a, a club. And he would invite all these Hollywood friends to come to Palm Springs on their vacations to chill out and not be around a lot of... Uh, you know, um, a, a lot of people, because at that time Palm Springs was a kind of quiet little city. And um, Palm Springs became what it did because of the racquet pl- club and because of Charles Farrell. So there's a street named Farrell. And I know why it's named Farrell. You know, I know all about Charlie Farrell and his, his, uh, Charles Farrell also made a couple films with Janet Gaynor, who won won the first Oscar. So everything is, you know, intertwined, but their film history has deep roots here in Palm Springs. So it's a great place to, to live and work. Mm -hmm.
0: Very true. And it's fun because they have all the, um like a lot of stars had homes there too and they do those kind of tours and stuff and even that kind of right. fun stuff
1: there you right. know stars of the classic era like uh Frank Sinatra and Bob Hope and and we had a couple of presidents too howard lived here and so did uh Gerald Ford so yeah and there's and there's this a, a large uh quantity of women that come in from other areas of the country there's uh they call them snowbirds but some of them are very wealthy women that come in, and they—they're um, uh, kind of a hoot. They're just uh, so fun, and they—they—they they, um, they work for all these charities to bring uh, more um, help to the people who live in the Coachella Valley, and especially for children. They mm-hmm. do a lot of for the children, right. so it's a great place to live. It really is. Yeah, and, and a lot to do. There's a lot of besides just uh, you know things about movies. There's Modernism Week. Um, you know, mid-century modern uh, movement is very huge right now and that all started here in Palm Springs mm-hmm. and, you know, so there's a lot of things to do here there's also um, uh, Coachella you know, yep. people down to Coachella and then there's the uh, there's another one after that Stagecoach yep. in fact um, uh, um, if you're going to see A Star is Born um, most yeah. of the live most of the live, uh, um, scenes of them, uh, performing was, was filmed at Stagecoach.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting.
1: Yeah. So Very it's cool. a great
0: place to live. Yeah. yeah. It's a fun city. They have, the, my parents have a house there. So like I, I go out there and you know, there's golfing, there's like that aerial tramway thing up the mountain, uh-huh. which is super cool. Yeah. It's just a fun little town to, to visit.
1: It is. And there's always something to do or somewhere to go or, you know, and there's lots of, lots of great restaurants and and bars and entertainment, night, nightly entertainment. There just is a lot to do here. And like you said, and a lot of people like to come here and hike and bicycle and, um, you know, there's a lot of athletic things that you could do too. And, and a ton of golf courses. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Cool. Well, man. Kay, It was so fun to talk to you. You're like, yeah, it was just awesome. I really appreciate you being on the show.
1: Thanks. It was good. Yeah.
0: I just, I guess I just want to say too, is like, I, I've always been into movies and stuff, but I never just this last couple of years, I started going to like Oscar parties and I uh-huh. think it's so much more fun when you go to an Oscar party and you actually kind of watch, you know, not to watch all the ones that are nominated, but if you start watching some of them and then do, you know, make your predictions and stuff, just to anybody listening, I think, if you had if you've never done that you should definitely try to get a party going or join a party because it's a lot of fun
1: it is it's a lot of fun that's how i started as strangely and you know it, you can get together with a, a bunch of people that and, and every year you'll you'll have that that thing in common that you see each other for the party and you know make your predictions and and see who wins you know, it's really fun and and plus it really you, you know you'll you'll end up uh you'll, when a film really impacts you and or, or a performance really impacts you, you'll, you'll be rooting for that actor to win, you know, and you'll be, you know, and, and it gives you, it's like you have a stake in the game, yeah. even though you're not the actual nominee.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it almost turns it into like a sporting event almost, you know, where you're it's, rooting for stuff. It's fun.
1: It's very similar to a sporting event, which is kind of strange because it's, you know, nobody, it. You know, it's not like uh, um, you're swimming in a, in a pool and the first one to touch the, the edge of the pool is the winner. There's <laughs> so, so much more subjective, it, you know, it's an art form, but how do you, you know, I mean, we we don't honor uh, other art forms uh, as much like that. Um, I mean, maybe writers get, you know, have uh, um, stuff but like, I mean, people who make artwork uh, like for example of a painter. What's the best painter of the year? Well, that would be really subjective, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a painter, you know, are you going to have a category for, you know, modern art or, you know, <laughs> it totally. just, it, it, it seems like a little odd, but it's for some reason there's a, a good fit with motion pictures and with having um, a contest like the Oscars. And, you know, for people who love film, I think it just is, it's a celebration, Of their love for film.
0: Mm -hmm. Very much so. Cool. Well, man, I, I really appreciate your viewpoint and and everything that you share. It's fun. Um, so I guess, can you just go over real quick again, all your, your, both your websites and where anybody can find you on social media and all that stuff?
1: Absolutely. Well, my silent, my silent, uh, 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 website is called silenthollywood.com. And it's just a bunch of pictures of really cool films. And it's, it, it's fun to just go through it and discover more about silent films. And then I write for my own uh, um, online, um, it's moviegal.com And you'll see my reviews of movies, uh, current and older, that I've kept and archived. Um, and also entertainment news. For example, Glenn Close is going to get the Icon Award at the uh, Palm Springs Film Festival this coming year. So, um, you know, new new film industry news also put in there. Um, and then on uh, Facebook, you can find me as the Movie Gal, and I have my own Facebook page, and I do probably my, most of my work on that. Um, and I also celebrate um, filmmaker, uh, filmmakers and, and actors of the classic period, um, on their birthdays and stuff like that, and create a conversation about the films they've done. And, um, and I also have, I'm also starting a new, it's like a podcast, but it's called uh, Facebook live with the movie gal. Oh, and I, my, I had just had my first interview, which was a couple of weeks ago with the cinematographer of, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Ooh, and cool. Yeah, so it's still on there, so you can check it out now. It's, it's still available to watch, but I'll ha- be having more live interviews with filmmakers there.
0: Awesome, and that's on your Facebook page, all that stuff? Facebook page, The Movie Gal. That's all you have to search for. Perfect, cool. I'll, I'll put links to that stuff too, so people can click That'd on that easy. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, well, thanks again, Kay. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited for Oscar season. It's kind of coming up a few months still, but not not too long. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks for the time. Uh, Appreciate it. Have a good rest of the day. All right.
1: Okay, you too. All right. Bye. Hey,
0: guys. Travis is here again. Um, So the podcast is over. It's done. So you can just leave right now. So don't worry about it. But I just had a couple things I wanted to mention and say to you guys. So first of all, thanks for listening to the episode or watching the episode. Super appreciate that. Um, If you want to connect with me or in, in the podcast, uh we're on we have a website it's called curiosityness.com um curiosityness is c-u-r-i-o-s-i-t-y-n-e-s-s kind of weird um but that's what it is curiosityness.com uh you can go there we have an instagram instagram.com slash curiosityness podcast so not just curiosityness for the username uh, I'm on Instagram as Trav De Rose, T-R-A-V-D-E-R-O-S-E, if you want to find just me. Um, oh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash curiosityness, we're on YouTube, uh, I think just go to YouTube and search curiosityness and we'll pop up, uh, I don't think we have a URL for that one, sorry. Oh, and we have a, I have an email address, travis at curiosityness.com. So, if you want to email me, you know, give me your thoughts on the show, suggestions, tips, uh, maybe like a suggestion for a new for a guest who could come on, maybe yourself or somebody that you know who might be interested, or or you would like to hear on the podcast. Let me know about that stuff. I, I would love to hear that. Um, oh, and then if you could leave a review too for the podcast, that'd be super appreciated uh the reviews in like in apple podcast or spotify or whatever wherever you're listening to this super help um just drop like a star whatever star review i won't tell you to do five but it'd be nice uh so drop a review you can write a review even two if you want that would be even better um but that's about it so thanks again for watching i super appreciate you you know listening to the whole show and staying here Um, And yeah, thanks again. Have a good day. Bye-bye.